Um, my wife and I were talking on the way up here. This, this is really strange. <laughs> I'm, I'm used to being out in the country and shores and... Uh, But I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to stand in this pulpit because I know your pastor. I know he doesn't let just anybody stand here. And when he called, when he messaged me, I I was humbled. And I just I don't know who picked the songs this morning, but there is a fountain. Is my if you come to my funeral, that will be played. And it about was my undoing. Um, I usually start off reading scripture, so this is uh, a little strange. But I, and I know knowing your pastor the way I do, I, I don't expect you're going to be hearing anything new this morning. I know Kevin well enough to know that, um, but he would also be pleased for me to remind you of some things. In fact, the book of 2 Peter, Peter makes mention of memory or remembering or keeping in remembrance or reminding them of something five times in that one short book. And one of the things I believe that we've neglected is the gospel. Personally, not necessarily from this pulpit, but the the thing that struck me about this text was in verse 15. And it goes by us real quick. It's a short verse. Paul says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Isn't it amazing that Paul was anxious? He was eager to preach the gospel to a church. Don't we normally think of the gospel being for lost people? Paul was eager to preach the gospel to the church. Why would that be? Why would that be? I, I, if you notice, I've got there's six main points. This is the longest section of scripture I've ever tried to address in one message. And this could really be an introduction to, to six different messages. So you're going to have to listen quickly. Um, but there, I tried paring it down, and I could not get it any smaller, any shorter than these six points. But they're each one critical, I believe, for believers, for us to to understand why the gospel applies to us. I want to pray right quick. If you would bow your heads for a moment. Father, thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the gospel that it promises, for the, the hope, for the life, for the joy that is ours to know that we are your flock, that our great shepherd laid down his life for us. Not because he saw anything in us that was worth dying for, but because simply you loved us before we even knew who you were. Father, I pray that you would bless these next few moments. God, for your name, for the sake of your name, for your glory and for the the glory of your Son. And Father, may your Holy Spirit be free to move among us this morning, to work in each one of us. Your will be done in each of our hearts. And Father, I pray that there won't be a soul here to leave this morning 
the same way we came. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, as I mentioned, what caught my attention in this text is verse 15. And that Paul was anxious to preach to the, the gospel of this church that he had never visited. Paul did not start this church. He didn't plan it. He didn't, it didn't result as a part of his evangelism in, in Rome. It may have been started by someone that, was a, that came to faith in Christ as part of his work and then traveled to Rome and began the church. We don't know for sure. There's speculation about it may have been Peter. We, we're not, we don't know. All we do know is this. Paul had it in his mind that he wanted to go to Rome and preach to the church. And that was God's will for him to do it. But he didn't do it freely. He didn't go of his own accord. He was taken there as a prisoner of Rome. But Paul ended up in Rome. And I don't think it mattered to Paul how he got there. He just wanted to be in Rome. Um, you know, I looked at the verse of those two songs that we all sang, that we sang this morning about there is a fountain. And then the next song, I never heard it before, it talked about darkness. And you know, one of the things that'll help us get through that darkness is knowing that we have been plunged into the fountain of his blood. I, I know too many Christians that have lost sight of what the gospel means. And, the, and when life gets upside down, when things get turned inside out, when things begin to fall apart, they wonder why God is letting them down. Folks, listen to me. We have a God who is faithful in every moment in your life. And God is good. God is righteous. And anything that comes our way does not indicate in any way that God is unrighteous or he's forgotten about us. God never forgets his children. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. God had as soon forget the names of the stars is to forget his children. You've not been forgotten. I don't care where you are and what you're going through. God does not forget his children. So the gospel is for the lost, yes, but we the church need it too. It's easy for us to be, to, for forgetfulness to overcome our lives and, and we forget the who, what, where, when, why, and how of the, of the good news. And it, listen, it's led to many ills in the churches today. If you listen to, to messages from other people, the gospel has been so perverted that we're told we have to, to, to celebrate and, and include people that live, in a, that live a life that is an antithesis to the holiness that God says is required for us to be before him. Hebrews tells us that without holiness, no one will appear before God. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, the last verse, he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Man, if there's something that keeps me up at night, it's that. It's knowing that we will be held accountable. And listen, it can't be anything in and of myself. It can't be anything in and of yourself. That's why the gospel reminds us of. Reminds us of, and there's six points here, and I want you to listen quickly. The first, I'm going to go through them briefly, and then we're going to look at each one individually. The first thing, why the church needs the gospel, is it fulfills God's promise. Secondly, it reveals God's eternal purpose. 
Thirdly, it strengthens and encourages believers. It's a means to strengthen and encourage the church. Fourthly, it's a source of fruitful labor. Fifthly, it is the power of God for salvation. And lastly, it reveals the righteousness of God. So number one, it fulfills the promises of uh, the, the God's promises. In verse two, I'm going to read verse one and two. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the, in, in the Holy Scriptures. Promised beforehand. That's one word in Greek. That's one word. It's a promise that God made before that, listen, before there ever was the first star hung in the heavens, before the earth ever was, it was a promise that God made. It's an eternal promise. It's what was referred to by the, the, the saints of old, the covenant of redemption. It's referenced in, in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what Paul writes to Titus. He said, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Folks, listen, the gospel was promised before there ever was a creation. It's what was called the covenant of redemption. It's inter-Trinitarian. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit covenanted together that once God created and there was a fall, God had a plan to redeem those that he, had, that he had chosen. Folks, listen, the fall did not catch God by surprise. Your sin doesn't surprise God. He knows that you were created and that you fell. We all did. There's not a person that draws a breath that does not need the gospel. That does not need the gospel. It is God's plan and it's God's promise that he will redeem. That he will redeem. But although this was made in eternity past, it was carried out in time by all three. The Father purposed it or he willed it. The Son procured our redemption and the Spirit applies it to us. All three are involved in your redemption. All three. And they're assured of fulfillment. The, God's promises are sure. He's sure. I, I've referenced Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 6 there. Listen what Paul, I mean, what the writer of Hebrews writes. Beginning in verse 17, he said, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Listen, your, your surety and your hope cannot lie within you. I don't care how faithful you've been. I don't care how you've walked with the Lord before. Listen, never look at yourself for your confidence, for your hope and for your security. And that's why we need to hear the gospel time and time and time again and what it means for believers. Because here's what we're, we're susceptible to do this. We're susceptible to look in the mirror 
and say, you know, God's lucky to have me. I'm such a good person. I do, the, you know, I go to church, I tithe, I don't cuss, I don't, you know, all, you can lick all these lists of things that you don't do, and not a one of them will secure anything in God's kingdom. The only hope we have is what God has done for us. No other hope. And the hope that we have in Christ, I, I love the way he finishes here. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Look, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus has done all for us that needs to be do, done. That's why we trust him. We trust him, not in my works, not in what I do. I can stand up here and preach for 15 years and it won't make a difference in eternity for my security or my hope. It matters not. Not only does it fulfill the promise, but secondly, it reveals God's eternal purpose. God had an eternal purpose in the plan of redemption. In Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 7 through 10, Paul writes, In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to his riches, of the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Listen to what he says. He said, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Folks, that's the ultimate purpose for what God does. It's to make much of his son. You know, God did everything he did. Everything he did. He created everything that is. And he knew the fall. He knew it was going to happen. And he had a plan. He had a purpose. He had a promise. And the end of that promise, the culmination of that promise was that his son would be the, at the top. That his son would receive every praise and every glory that we have to offer is to make much of his son, not us. That doesn't mean that we're just merely pawns in God's plan. What it means is this, our lives are meant to point to him. Everything about my life, everything I do, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Everything we're to do is to be, is to point to Christ. I don't care if you're preaching, if you're teaching Sunday school, if you're singing in a choir, I don't care if you work at a plant, at a manufacturing facility, I don't care if you're a farmer. It doesn't matter. Whatever you do, everything is to be done for the glory of God. Everything. Everything. I, one of my best friends is a contractor. He's a member of our church, and I love working with him. His name is Joe Scott, and I, one of the reasons I, I love working with him because everything Joe does it's like he's written his name on it. Every piece of wood he cuts, every nail he drives, every screw he drives in, every shingle he lays, every square yard of concrete he pours, everything he does has his name on it. Because he knows that people are going to look at what he does and they're going to make an evaluation of the kind of man he is. 
Listen, everything you do should have your name on it. And that name should point to Christ. I don't care. It doesn't matter what you do. You think, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not involved in spiritual work. Yes, you are. Whatever you do, you're involved in spiritual work. You're involved in kingdom priorities, whatever it is. Baking cakes, making, making cookies, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. You do it all for the glory of God. That's what it's, it's meant to point to him. Thirdly, and I love this, in verse, look down at verse 11 and 12 of our text in, in Romans chapter 1. Paul writes, for, as long, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours, both yours and mine. Now he's talking about a spiritual gift there. He's not talking about the spiritual gifts detailed in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. He's not talking about those. He's talking about a, a gift that is received by the ministry of someone else. It's not talking about a, a, a spirit-imparted gift. It's talking about growth and our walk in Christ. That's what he's talking about here. Now, I want you to get this. Understand who this man is, the Apostle Paul. Everybody in, in, in the Christian world in that time would have heard of the Apostle Paul, that he was a persecutor of the church, that he hauled people to prison who confessed Christ, that he probably had some of them murdered, some of them executed. <coughs> the families, the lives he must have destroyed. And I've said before, I can imagine some of the prayer meetings. Some deacon would have stood up and prayed, God, would you just kill that man? God, just take him out. Look what he's doing to your church. They had no idea who Paul was. How Paul was going to use him. And how would you like to have heard what Paul heard when he, got, when he saw Christ? And Ananias came to tell him, what God had in store for him. Jesus told when Ananias balked at going, Jesus told him, go. He's a chosen instrument of mine. Now listen to what he said. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. How would you like to have heard before you're even baptized? Here's what you're going to suffer for me. Paul didn't balk. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I now live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, it was personal with Paul. It was personal with him. He knew that there was a purpose. Now, this was a man that wrote to the church in Rome. And look what he said. He said that we might be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. You want to know why we're supposed to gather like this right here? The purpose of this is to build each other up in the faith. Not just coming from a pulpit or a Sunday school teacher. Listen, there's somebody sitting close to you right now that needs to hear the hope of the gospel. They need to know from you that God is faithful. They need to know that from you. And you know this ought to be the safest place to bear our burdens with people. This ought to be the safest place in the world to share struggles that we're having. But too often we, we get out of our cars, we walk into this place, we put on this church face. 
Everything's fine. And it's not. Some of us are facing those dark times like we talked, like you sang about a while ago. Just, that's why we need one another. And that's why Paul told him, he said, I, I, listen, I, Paul's saying, I needed you, need you as much as you need me. I need you to build me up. I need to build you up. It's a, it's, it's a two-way street. So when you walk through these doors to, to Wales, don't think you're coming to be a recipient only. And what you're to give is not just money. You're to give yourself to these people here. Give yourself to Wales. Give yourself to the people here. Be willing to share your life with them. You know, that's one thing I think that we miss in our day-to-day that, you know, I, I don't know where, how far off y'all came from, and we drove from Prospect. I know some here live below us and, and drive here. The problem is that we don't, our lives aren't interacted. That I intertwine with each other like they were in the New Testament times. They lived and worked together. They, they didn't travel to a different city to go to church. They didn't travel to, a, I mean, just house churches. People around them came. They knew each other every day of the week. They, were, they knew the way they worked. They knew the way they lived. They, and you think, well, man, I don't want anybody up in my business like that. And that's part of our problem. That's part of our problem. We don't want to live life that's just wide open before people. That's difficult to do, isn't it? That's difficult to do, isn't it? Paul said, look, that's, I, want, I need to be encouraged by you as much as you need encouragement by me. I need, I need to hear your convictions. I need to hear you share with me what you've been through so I, because I'm going to be facing the same thing one day. Don't we need to hear how God has been faithful in the midst of, of trials and troubles? When's the last time you saw somebody that was in the midst of it? I mean, you knew it was like the world was just crushing on them. And yet they sang. And they blessed the Lord. Folks, there's not a sweeter testimony I've ever heard than somebody that's under the, under the, the pressure of this world and, and loss and and yet they still bless their Redeemer. You know, Job lived so long ago, but I wonder sometimes if he didn't have a better idea who God was than we do. Facing all he faced, he said, but I know my Redeemer lives. With the heart breaking. I mean, good gracious, he lost every single thing he had. His children. Every one of his children. And when he got word, one right after another, it said, Job sat down. He tore his clothes. He covered himself with ashes. And he worshiped. You know what Charles Spurgeon said? He said, when you find your life pressed to the dirt, worship there. When you find your life down to the dirt, crushed 
to powder worship. Can I tell you that that'll be the most precious worship you'll ever experience is when you do it with a broken heart. When you do it with a crushed spirit. I, I don't have it in my text, but I want to read you a verse. I, it just, it's always meant so much to me. If you, I mean, jot down notes in Isaiah 57, verse 15. Listen to this. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place. Boy, nobody would argue with that, would they? God dwells in a high and holy place. His name is holy. And that's where he dwells. Listen, God dwells in two places. You see that in the text? He dwells in a high and holy place. Where else does he dwell? Look, also with him who's of a contrite and lowly spirit. You know what that word contrite means? It means ground to a powder. That's where God dwells. When, you, when you're collapsed in the ground, when, when everything has got you to where you can't even lift your head and you feel crushed, listen, your heavenly Father is right there with you. That's where he dwells. It doesn't mean he's forgotten you. Listen, he's right there. That's why Job worshipped when he was there. You see why we need one another. We need to know that people, that, that that's where somebody else has been. It encourages us. I, I, listen, I wouldn't give a bucket of warm spit for somebody got down there then walked away from the faith. They're not a testimony to the faithfulness of God. You give me somebody that's been crushed and they stand up and they've been renewed. They've been restored because they met God down there. We need more believers like that, folks. Not that people that avoid and run from these troubles and not try to avoid them. That doesn't mean we, we welcome them. But it does mean this. I know my God loves me. And if I'm in the midst of this, there's a purpose for it. That's what, first, that's what Romans 8, 28 means. All things work together for good. Listen, not for everyone. People stop there. All, you ever heard somebody, all things work together for good? No, they don't. They do for those that love God and they're called according to his purpose. That's who they work good for. Not everybody. Number four. It's a source of fruitful labor. Look at verse 13. <clears throat> Y'all bear with me, I lost my place here. Verse 13, Paul, Paul writes, I want you to be aware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. What Paul wanted to do was to the things that he had been blessed with and his relationship with the Lord and the things that, that Christ had revealed to him, he knew those things would help bolster these people's faith. He knew it would, that the things that he could share with them would help build them up in their faith and would give them confidence because of what Paul had been. Listen, I, I give an example of the Philippians. Remember how Paul, how the church was started in Philippians in, in the Philippi, the town of Philippi? He, he cast a demon out of a, 
out of a girl that was a fortune teller. And remember, owners had him beaten, had Paul and Silas beaten and thrown into a, into a prison. Beaten and thrown into prison. At midnight, Paul and Silas were, were praying and, and singing, and all of a sudden the doors were opened. And Paul and Silas, that's how the church was formed. Result of, was the result of that. Can you imagine later on the, the church at Philippi getting a letter from them? Oh, folks, listen, we just got a letter from that man we beat. I mean, don't you know, hey, listen, the jailer treat, mistreated Paul before he got saved. And you know some of the people that mistreated him probably came to faith because there's already a church planted there. I can just imagine going to your mailbox, Bobby, and, and you know, I, 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 mean, I was one of the ones that mistreated Paul. I go, I go to a mailbox and maybe I'm the pastor of the church there, one of the elders, and, and it's a letter from Paul. Oh, my goodness. What's he going to say? Yeah. And I get the letter and open up and I read it. And it talks about joy. It talks about rejoicing. It talks about Jesus humbling himself. Becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And how his heavenly father highly exalted him and gave him a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the father. My goodness. And these little churches that have probably been slaves and, and masters together. Can you imagine? And I imagine the church had a, one of these slaves was, a, was the elder in the church and the teaching pastor and his master that he serves the rest of the week would be under his authority in that body of believers. Listen, the gospel turns everything right side up. Our culture today has everything upside down and inside out. The gospel is what sets things right. It sets things right. Also in Philippians, I, this is my favorite scripture here in, in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul writes, he said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out with fear and trembling. Listen, he says work out. He does not say work for. Understand that. We're to work out what God has worked in. Do you understand that? And he says to do it with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean in, in terror, with a, with a sense of, of terror or, or to be frightened. What it does mean is this, is that we each one will have to do what God's called us to do, knowing that we don't have the strength or the ability to do it. There are plenty of people sitting out in churches today that God has called to serve in some capacity, and you think, well, I can't. And you know that's the first qualification to doing what God wants you to do, is to realize you can't do it. God doesn't call those that are capable. He calls those that are available. He calls those that say, Lord, whatever your will is for my life. God, you give me the strength. You give me the ability. You empower me and I'll do what you call me to do. There are many of us that have argued 
for years sometimes to fulfill what God's called us to do. I did. Look, I was 45 years old when I, listen, I was 45 years old when I got saved. You know how rare that is? 45 years old. I don't care how old you are here this morning. If you think you're too old to get saved, if you think you're too old to give your life to Christ, if you think you're too old to submit to the gospel, you're wrong. You're wrong. But I want to tell you what, it almost killed me. It almost killed me. I was crushed by conviction of sin. And I was teaching a high school boy Sunday school class. God, I teach Sunday school. Do you think that God said, oh, that's right, I forgot about that, you're okay. No. Every excuse I made, it made it worse. I was trying to get to Winchester as a salesman. I got to Kelso. I pulled in behind an old abandoned school there and I, I laid out all my excuses again. And I didn't know what else to do. I was trying to get, I just thought, I turned around and went home. I was trying to get home. I was crying so hard I couldn't hardly see. We lived on, Holland, on uh, Mill Street, right across the street from Highland. And I thought, well, if I can just get home to my wife, if I can just get home to Debbie, it'll be all right. I just need to get home to Debbie. I got, you know where the, the South um, Industrial Park is, where Sargumi is? I, I, we lived on Mill Street across from Highland Baptist Church. I made it to there, to the South Giles UT. Industrial Park. It was before they built all that. It was the gravel road. Went up to that water tank. And I, got, I, I turned there and went up. I couldn't get home. It was like God said, if you get home, I'll lose you. God didn't let me get home. I pulled up there and I got out of that car. And I fell down on that gravel. And I cried, God, save me. I can't, get, I can't go another moment. And God answered my prayer. But you know the shocking thing? Is the next day I went to my pastor and I told him. And you know how he responded? He said, Steve, people won't understand. Because I told him I wanted to get baptized. If I wanted to follow Christ in baptism. He said, well, people won't understand. I said, Pastor, I don't care what they understand. I know what happened. I know what happened. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it, but I can tell you this. I'm not the same man I was before. I know. I know. There's still stuff there. You got stuff. That's why we need one another. Paul goes on in Philippians. Look what he said. He said, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You wonder how to please God. Here's how you do it. He gives you the will and the strength to do what he wants you to do. It's not up to you. 
You see, it's not even up to you. It's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know what he does? He takes away every excuse. There's no excuse that holds water. God says, for I'll give you the will and the power to do what I'm telling you to do, what I want you to do. We just got to say, all right. All right. Fifthly, and I've got to hurry. I know it's getting late. I don't know what time Kevin normally gets through, but. <laughs> Listen, y'all don't ever have to have me back. This is like where you come in to, you know, as a guest preacher, you can come in and drop a bomb and leave. And if they don't ever have you back, you hadn't lost nothing. I got a church in, in Good Spring. I'm, I'm welcome at next week. At least I hope I am. So um, I hope you haven't got a roast in the microwave, Jennifer, um, in the crock pot. Number five. I'm sorry, I'm picking on Jennifer. <laughs> Listen, Jennifer and Ronald are two of my favorite people in the world. I've seen how God's worked in, in both their lives. Ronald and I have cried more together over the years. Um, Ronald, I miss you crying, brother. Me too. I do, I really do. <laughs> Number five, it's a power of God unto salvation. Listen, there's never a cause for us to be embarrassed or shameful in sharing the gospel. It's not, it's not up to us. Listen, the gospel is a power of God unto salvation. He said there are many people that, that claim to be Christians that they, they balk at the, at the fact that well, who do you worship? Well, we worship a Jewish carpenter born in a town that nobody cared about, nobody thought about, a little town of Nazareth. He lived a life that he, people said they'd follow him. He said, look, I don't have, any, I don't have a, a place to lay my head. I don't even know where my next meal is coming from. And you want to follow me? You follow me, you'll have to take up a cross daily. Deny yourself to follow me. He ended up on a Roman cross. And they thought, well, that's it. That's it. He's dead. Guards at the tomb. It's over. Ain't no grave going to hold me down. <laughs> Three days later, he walked out. That's who we worship. That's who we worship. The exalted son of God. And people balk at the story about him. Even Christians sometimes do. It's a story that seems foolish to, to Gentiles. And it's a stumbling block to the Jews, Paul said. But to us who are saved, it's the power of God. There's no other Savior. In fact, you know, I know people have, have talked about grace being that God's unmerited favor. And this, that's true. It is. It's God's unmerited favor. A, a man that I, I've read a lot of from, his name is Scott Christensen. I like what he said. He said, it's not just unmerited favor. We've done everything we can to demerit his favor. You understand? Everything we can do... The Bible calls us sinners. It calls us wicked. It calls us rebels. The Bible said we're dead in our trespasses and sins. 
We're children of wrath. Listen, if you're not in Christ right now, can I tell you something? The, the wrath of God abides on you. I mean, it's like, you, you, it's like a dark cloud, except you can't see it. Jesus said, whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever, or whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever not, does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Listen, condemnation rests on you. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how comfortable your life is. If you're under the condemnation, the wrath of God, none of that will matter. None of it will matter. But listen, if you're in Christ, no struggle here on earth is going to matter. Can you imagine the things we worry about right now, the things we struggle against, the things that we think we don't have? Listen, we've got an inheritance from the creator of the universe waiting on us, preserved in heaven. And we're worried about dollar bills down here. How sad. I love what a man named Jerry Bridges has written a book, and it's called The Divine Exchange. Listen to what he said, what Romans 8, 3 says. He said, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. The very thing that condemns us, Christ condemned. Isn't that marvelous? God, Christ condemned sin in the flesh. He lived in, in the flesh and he condemned it because he triumphed over it. But 2 Corinthians 5.21, look, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a promise. What a promise. Lastly, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Of course, it's verse 17, and that, that one verse is what, that one phrase, the last part of that, of that is what a Roman Catholic monk 500 plus years ago turned his life around and started the Reformation. Martin Luther had struggled with the sense of sin in his life, and he, he couldn't overcome it. He punished himself. He beat himself. He slept on a, on a concrete floor in sub-freezing temperatures, trying to thinking if I punish myself enough, maybe God will accept me. And finally, he read this verse, not in the Latin translation that the Roman that the Roman Catholics used, but in the Greek. And here's what it said: He read the righteousness shall live by faith, but can also be translated the one who by faith is righteous shall live. By faith, the one who is righteous shall live. Do you get the difference? It's by faith that we live. And there's an example here in, in chapter 4 of Romans. I want you to look at this. In Romans chapter 4, I'm going to back up and look at verse 2. It says, for if Adam was just, I mean, Abraham was justified by works. If Abraham was declared righteous by works, in other words, if God looked at his life and weighed all the good and all the bad, and if the good outweighed the bad, then Abraham would have been justified. That's not the way God did it. God will never, 
Listen, that's not God's way. And some, some people in churches think, well, as long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm... No. Your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus said. So what kind of righteousness is that? Look what he says. For if Abraham is justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God. Now I want you to notice what it says. It does not say he believed in God. You get that? There's a difference in believing in God and believing God. There are plenty of people in this world today that are under the condemnation and wrath of God that believe in him. Do you believe in God? Do you believe God? Do you believe God when he says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God? Do you believe God when he says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord? Do you believe what God says? Or do you think it's all right to just say, I believe in God? Folks, listen, there's not a soul that'll be separated from God in eternity in a devil's hell that won't believe in God. Do you know that? Because hell is not the absence of God. That doesn't mean that God's not present. You know what hell is? Hell is eternity under God's wrath. God is present in hell. Not his grace. Not his love. God's wrath is operative in hell. That's it. But with him... There'll be no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Folks, I can't think of a better message. I can't think of another, anything else that people need to know is that God will not look at your works to determine whether or not you earn heaven. You merit heaven. You don't. We look to another. We look to Christ. There is a fountain filled blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Folks, that's past, that's present, and that's future. All your sins have been atoned for if you're in Christ. Do you believe God? That's my question for you today. Do you believe God? Or do you simply, like every demon there is, believe in him? Believe that he is. Believe that he exists. Believing God means to trust him. And that's my question to you this morning. Do you trust him? Believer, are you helping other believers trust him more? Does your life bear testimony to the faithfulness of God that you know what we need in churches? You ever been around somebody that the more you're around them, the more you feel compelled to live more faithful to Christ? You ever been around people like that? Their life just oozes the character and nature of Christ. 
Those people are rare. We need more of those. Men and women who will say, Christ, live through me. Not for my benefit, but for the church, for your people, and for those that you call to be your own. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I pray that you would move on every heart this morning. God, that our responses to your word, God, would be as you would have it. There would not a one of us leave here this morning with unfinished business. God, bring us to repentance, to renewal. God, to rebirth. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.